morning. We're going to do it a little different today. I'm going to give the announcements first because we have a lot. I'll try to go quick and then that way you can focus on the things of God and the Word of God. And I'm going to do it backwards. I'm going to start from the end of the month and I'm going to work till today. Okay, so hang with me. So, of course, you know Jesus Day is Saturday, August 26th for kids 1st through 6th grade. It's a fun day. But we minister the gospel also. John Tash, who's a children's minister, will be here and, and help with that. And then on that Sunday, the next day, he is going to minister to the whole congregation. So that will be interesting. That will be fun. And so I encourage you to take part in that. On Friday night, August 25th, the night before Jesus Day, at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a work night set up. So if you're able to be here and help with that, we'd appreciate it. On August 14th, Monday night at 5.30, there's a very important school board meeting. Cammie wrote out this letter. It explains what's going on. It explains what you can do to help. So these will be in the back if you're interested in that. Uh, take one of those, read it, and uh, be informed and, and stay on top of that stuff. This Wednesday night at 7 o'clock... Is our regular midweek service. There's no Patriots United this week on Tuesday. Okay, and then the big announcement is this afternoon from 4 to 7 at Muscatine. We're having a family fun day. I know the weather isn't what we were thinking it was going to be. Usually you think hot August. It's going to be September weather. So we're going to go ahead and have it. We just got to, it's going to be perfect, not for swimming, but it'll be good probably for fishing and bonfire. So keep that in mind. It's a bring-your-own-stuff party. So we will provide the charcoal, the wood. You need to bring your, your food, like your hot dogs, your hamburgers. I would keep it simple. And then bring a side dish or dessert to share with everybody else. Bring your own drink. Bring your own tableware. We were, are going to meet kind of on that southwest side by the swimming beach. And if they can't swim, they can play in the sand. There's also the fishing dock there. And there's tables, there's grills, there's bonfire pits. And so that's where we will be. Just come. Maybe you can bring swimsuits and sweatshirts. That's up to you. So it's just a time, a good time to get together. If you have games like cornhole and stuff like that, bring them. I know Steiner's got some stuff for the kids to play in the sand. They're also bringing their kayaks and life jackets, and the only request we has, have is be responsible for your kids, especially in and around the water. So that's today at 4 to 7. If the weather does get worse, we will send out a text message, or you can call to somebody to make sure. So um, that's today at Muscatine. I think that's all I have. I went pretty quick. Amen. Let's stand up this morning. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together as a family to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we call upon You, Spirit of Grace, this morning to move among this people. We thank You, Lord, You promised to pour out Your Spirit in these last days. And so, Father, we set our affections on things above. Take our eyes off the things of this earth. All distractions are bound in the name of Jesus. We focus on you, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. In Jesus' name, amen. There is freedom in your presence. There is freedom in this place.
There is freedom in your presence when we sing your praise.
in your presence. There is freedom in this place. There is freedom in your presence. There is freedom when we sing your praise. the sea so I could walk right through it. All my fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. You split the sea. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. All my fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. There is freedom in your presence. Yes, there is freedom in this place. There is freedom in your presence there is freedom when we sing your praise
this morning. We thank you for your glory. We thank you, Father, for the corporate anointing on your people that is increasing in this hour. Oh, we stand before you, Lord. Blood washed, the redeemed of the Lord. Therefore, we come boldly into your presence, into your throne room with praise, giving you all the honor, all the glory that's due your name. Jesus, our King. Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, our Savior. We worship you in one accord this day. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Greet someone on the way down. but we've been talking about how God desires prosperous people. In 3 John, the Apostle John, the John that walked with Jesus, tells a born-again New Testament believer, Beloved, I pray that you would prosper in all things and be in health even as your souls prosper. How anybody can deny that, I do not understand. He says, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, if you have your Bible, turn back to Matthew. Matthew verse, or chapter 19. And I'll just give you a little background on this, and then we're going to talk about this. When you read the Bible, you have to take into account who's being spoken to and why. So John was speaking to a New Testament, born-again believer. In Matthew 19, Jesus is talking to a man who is not born again. And he's trying to get him into the kingdom. And we have to understand the difference there. We can't just take it and read it blankly. So he talks, I'll just read starting in verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But you want to enter into life. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Remember, this is an Old Testament Jew okay, that he's talking to. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false, false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, but what do I still lack? And Jesus says, If you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter to the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And people look at that and say, My gosh, it's impossible. Because we think of a little sewing needle and a great big camel. And I've talked to you about this before. And we, but I'm going to go over it again. Years ago, when we were in Tulsa, there's a man named 
Bob Yandian, and he is an astounding teacher of the Word of God, and he taught, and it was the whole message, but I'll give it to you succinctly. Back then, they had walled cities. The walls were around the city for protection and security. And during the day, when things were safe, the gates were open. And they had guards up on the wall to guard, watch who was coming and going. And in daylight, they could see way far off if danger was coming or if it was just not, not a problem. At night, they couldn't see that. And, and they would come, so they would close the gates. And on the gate was a little door. And it was small, but if you came at night, you had to enter that city through that little door. And that door in those times was called the Eye of the Needle. And so when the merchants and the travelers, and they would come and they wouldn't get to the city during the daytime, and they would have to come in and they'd want to get in for security purposes at night, then they were forced to come through the Eye of the Needle. And these merchants traveled by the U-Haul, what we would call the U-Haul of today was the camels. And they had their camels loaded with their stuff, their merchandise, their riches, their families, their provision. And they would have to bring that camel to that point of the eye of the needle, unload it, put everything through that little opening, crawl through themselves, and then they had to proceed to get the camel through it. And that camel would have to get one foot at a time, and they'd have to get it to shrink down and come through there. They'd get it through, they'd load him up again. And a lot of these merchants were very wealthy, and they had more than one camel. They would have whole herds of them and flocks and sheep and all that. So it was difficult to get through the eye of the needle but it wasn't impossible. But what they had to do, which is what he was telling this, basically the disciples about this young man, Jesus first and foremost wants your heart. He wants you to trust in him. So what happened with these people, they had to lay everything down. They had to trust the guards at the gate to take all their provision, all their armor, everything off, and they had to just lay it down to get through. Once they got through, they could pick it back up again. And it's the same way with Jesus. He just wants us to come just with a pure heart, just, just us and him, and learn to put our trust in him. He does not have a problem with the things that we have. He provides that. He wants us to prosper and be in health even as our souls prosper. But he wants us first and foremost to trust in Jesus. Because for one thing, that's what gets us into the kingdom. For the next thing, if, we have our, if he has our whole heart, then he can help us to use all that prosperity that we have to help other people and for the glory of God. So we need to recognize when we read the word of God what these things are really talking about. And I love that story. So ushers, um, if you have your offerings ready, if you don't, there's envelopes in front of you, pans. Um, ushers, you go, may go ahead and receive this morning's tithes and offerings.
we lift up one voice And we worship with one heart And we're united by your spirit And we sing how great you are So we lift up one voice And we worship with one heart We're united by your spirit Sing how great you Amen. Turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 11. 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 11. We've been on a series for a long time about the anointing. Everyone say the anointing. If the church must have in these last days the anointing of God. It's because the anointing destroys the yoke of bondage. Because there are going to be people coming into the kingdom of God in the days ahead. They need a lot of stuff broken off of them. You can send them to a psychiatrist, psychologist, and a counselor. And thank God for counselors. Amen. We need them. But we need most of all Jesus and the anointing. Amen. And so that's what we've been talking about. And in this... Example here in the Old Testament, the temple's been completed by Solomon and the people. And so I want to read this to you because this has been our text. It says, And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves. What, what did we learn sanctified means? Holy, separated. Without keeping to their divisions, and the Levites who were the singers, and those of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, and their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen. They had their best threads on. I think, you know, the church has kind of gotten lax about dress. I mean, if you wear jeans, wear clean jeans. I know you got the holy jean part down. Just try to do your best. Amen? having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass, when the trumpeters and singers were as one, say one, to make one sound, say one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord, and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good... For His mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud. So the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. That's just what we sang today. And that's what we want. We want the manifested presence of God in, in this place. Now, we talked about sanctification. Three things that, that, that are crucial in, in Ushering in and the, the glory of God, sanctification, living holy, separated from the world. Today we're going to talk about unity. Say unity. 
I want you to look in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read a couple scriptures. But here I have a statement by John Kingsley Alley, and I'm going to read to you today some things by this apostle of God, this author, and it's, it's powerful. We're going to look at the subject of unity from a different perspective today. But here's the spiritual truth. God is looking throughout the earth for a people upon whom He can pour out His Spirit in a particular way and for a particular purpose. He seeks a people who will allow Him to bring them into unity. Allow them to bring them into unity, enabling Him to give them a gift. Now listen, the spirit of understanding. Say the spirit of understanding. Then with one heart and one mind, they will arise to do the work of God. Now, if you look, we hand these out. These are kind of an outline, and I cannot promise you that I will follow this. So, Kaylee, don't get your undies in a bundle. I'm, I probably won't follow this as it's written. But there's stuff on here that will help you. Amen? Amen. The glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ will be founded on people who walk in unity. Say, walk in unity. We are anointed to walk in His glory as kings and priests in Him to come into unity with our brothers and sisters. Now, before I read to you Ephesians 4, I'm going to try to define, and I really didn't find the best definition. I looked up in Webster's. Because this is a word that's going to stick out today, and it's the word community. Say, I live in a community. You might live in Norfolk. Is that a community? You might live in Elgin. That's a community. Well, do you know you can be part of a church community? And this author comes up, instead of saying the word church a lot, he uses the word community. And Webster says a community is a group of people forming a smaller social unit within a larger one, sharing Common interests, work, identity, and location. It could also mean sharing beliefs. Do we share beliefs here? Yeah, who do we believe in? Jesus. You know, also we could share the same vision of people committed to serving and sharing Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the vision of the church. Sharing the same goals. It means friendly association. Say friendly. You know, you should be able to come to church and find some friends. Amen. It means fellowship. Now, this is the thing as I was sitting there thinking, I was just talking to the Holy Spirit, and I said, huh, I, I don't like that. You know, that's all right, Webster's d definition. But again, I began to think about this, and I'm going to make a statement to you, and I hope it doesn't fly over your head. You can be a member of a church, but not part of the community within that church. You can be a member of a church, but not part of the community within that church. See, there's the, the church worldwide. There's the church in this nation. And you know what? We're part of the remnant. That's a community within the, the bigger picture. While the rest of the church is not functioning as it should be, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be. And so, I want you to understand that's what the community, it's, it's the remnant, it's, it's a special group of people. They believe the same thing, they talk the same talk, they walk the same walk. They're looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, I'm part of the community. 
Now, I want everybody here to be part of the community. I do. Amen. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read to you. This is New King James. And uh, this describes this community of believers. Verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. See, if you're part of the community, you're going to put up with each other. Some of you put up with me for a long time. But I put up with you too. And all your idiosyncrasies, character flaws, I put up with you too. It works both ways. Amen. But it says here, we're supposed to uh, come together with all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring. Say endeavoring. Endeavoring means we better work at it. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. In the days ahead, we're going to have to work hard to keep the community together. Because... There's a lot of stuff going on out there in the world. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Unity is whose responsibility? Individually. If you want to keep the faith, keep that unity, you're going to have to, and I'm going to have to do everything in my power to keep that unity, to guard that unity, protect it, cause it to flourish. And that means we're going to have to work together as a team. Say team. Amen. That's the truth. Unity is the responsibility of every believer, and the Holy Spirit, as we just read, is the source of that unity. So, if the Holy Spirit is the source, then I would say it would probably be wise to get to know the Holy Spirit. Because if you and I do not have relationship and fellowship with the Holy Spirit and know Him intimately, we're going to have a hard time functioning together as community, we're going to have a hard time establishing unity. See, in the days ahead, I, I just am believing that when we come to church corporately as a body, the main objective when we walk in here on a Sunday morning, it's about Jesus, and it's about allowing the Holy Spirit to have His way. Not Abe's way, not my way, not your way, but His way. And so if that's going to happen, then we're going to have to learn how to submit to the Holy Spirit. But if you can't submit to the Holy Ghost on a daily basis, Monday through Saturday, how do you think you're going to come in here and submit to the Holy Ghost and those in authority in this place? You're going to cause dissension. You're going to cause problems. You're not going to help be a part of the community that will usher in the glory of the Lord. You've got to know the Holy Ghost. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got to know the Holy Ghost. Amen. Then it goes on in Ephesians 4.11. And it talks about 
He gave Himself apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, it's going to take the fivefold ministries to do their job to bring the church into the unity of the faith. That's why you need all five. Amen. Now, give me the liberty today to read to you. I'm Mr. Rogers. I'm not Mr. Rogers. I want to read to you. Uh, I've got a lot of books in my library, and I, I came across this this week, and it was, it's powerful. Don't let it go over your head. And that's why, I, are we recording this today? I know we are. Praise God. So those that aren't here today, I want them to hear this today. I can't tell you. It's the Apostolic Revelation by John Kingsley Alley. What a name. I wish I had a name like John Kingsley Alley. And it's entitled, An Apostolic People. Say apostolic people. See, the company within the church is an apostolic community. He says, foundational to the apostolic reformation is the idea that the whole church is to be an apostolic people. We're not just talking about the restoration of apostles to the church, but a restoration of the apostolic nature of the church itself. He says, I devoted the month of June 1998 to prayer. Every weekday morning I would arrive at the church auditorium at 6 a.m. for 12 hours of prayer. Others would join me, coming and going, I'm sure they were coming and going, as they were able, and together with them or alone, I would worship, listen, and intercede, and wait on God. Early one morning, the Spirit of God directed me to these words from Psalm 32, verse 8 through 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse of the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Steve, you ever worked with horses that were stubborn? Yeah. See, the people that aren't part of the community within the church itself can be like horses and mules. Oh, that went over. Okay, I'll go on. Now listen, it was the word understanding, say it three times, understanding, understanding, understanding. It was the word understanding over which the Spirit of God dwelt. Suddenly, it was alive with meaning as I entered into a revelation of the purposes of God. This is the gist of the revelation. God is looking throughout the earth for a people upon whom He can pour out His Spirit in a particular way and for a particular purpose. i got a question for you. Is the Lord looking for you? He seeks a people who will allow Him to bring them into unity. Enabling Him to give them a gift, the Spirit of Understanding. Did you hear that? The gift. The spirit of understanding. Then with one heart and one mind they will arise to do the work of God. The size of the group is not important. It could be 200 people or 50. But with deep unity and profound understanding given by the Spirit. See, that's where the Spirit of grace is involved. There is no limit to what God can do through them. 
I sense that God is looking now for such a people. And in the coming days, there may be many such groups, but the key is understanding. Say that. The key is understanding. Supernaturally given as an anointing by the Lord to every person in the community. He uses this word a lot. He's, he's an Aussie. Causing them, causing them to be of one heart and mind. At first this seemed too idealistic, even though it was strongly impressed upon me. To my own mind it appeared highly improbable that groups of believers could have a unity so deeply pervasive that they would be of one heart and one mind. In the church we all have, we have, all we have ever known is independence. <laughs> Did you hear that? In the church all we've ever known is independence. So I turned to the Scriptures to find the biblical position. I was amazed by what I was discovered. God has done it before. What I'd seen in prayer as God's plan for His people today had been the immediate outcome of the day of Pentecost. It was church history. I read again these amazing words with new insight. All believers were one in heart and mind, Acts 4.32. I thought again about the amazing power of the believers of the early church. I also found an earlier precedent in the history of Israel. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 12. Also in Judah, the hand of, the, of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. So the Lord is faithful to... So the Lord in faithfulness has placed two witnesses, one in the Old Testament, one in the New, that show His power to transform communities by His Spirit and reveal the purpose of God for His people. God always seeks to give His people understanding and create community. Now, in many local churches, there are few who have the spirit of understanding as an anointing which reveals the will of God for them as people. Consider what, ha- consider what happens in churches everywhere. Generally, the pastor will have understanding of the will of God in some measure because it is part of the call and anointing to preach the Word of God to God's people. Therefore, he will preach the need for everyone's prayer life to be effective. He'll exhort and encourage every believer to be devoted to prayer, walk with Christ daily, but usually the following week, the people will be no more prayerful than they were the week before. Another Sunday, he will preach holiness. That's what I preached last week. Exhorting the believers to live holy lives for Christ, but during the following week, very few will give any more thought to holiness than they did the week before. The next Sunday, he'll teach to win souls, for he who wins souls is wise. He will urge devotion to prayer for the lost as well as boldness in witnessing, but during the following week, there will rarely, rarely be more witnessing or prayer for the lost in the lives of the believers. The truth is, there are many congregations where lives are not moved greatly by the preaching of the Word of God. I'm I'm stopping for dramatic effect. The truth is, there are many congregations where lives are not moved greatly by the preaching of the Word of God. That's why they've got to go see counselors. She's studying to be a counselor, be a godly Bible counselor. 
Now, he says, there is a reason for this. Because the church lacks unity. The spirit of understanding is thinly distributed. It is upon the unity of the believers that the command to bless is given and that commanded blessing is life. That's Psalms 133.3. I saw that God is looking for a people upon whom He can place the spirit of understanding corporately and individually. Then each will have the same passion for the will of God to be done as the preacher. And together with one heart and one mind, they'll rise to do the will of God. Understanding is the major key to spiritual advancement. On a side note, this isn't in your, your outline. Write down Nehemiah 8.8 8 and go home this week and read that. Nehemiah 8, verse 7 and 8. And you'll see an example of how important understanding is for the people if there's going to be revival. The psalmist prayed, Give me understanding and I'll keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Psalm 119.34 The Lord Himself had informed the prophet Isaiah, Therefore my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Isaiah 5 verse 13. Jesus' ministry was based on this principle. In response to the disciples' question, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Matthew 13.10. He gave a very definitive answer that reveals one of the primary principles of the kingdom of God. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Then he quoted Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and I would heal them. The principle is this. Now listen real careful. God gives understanding to people who want understanding. To those who look to God and cry out for it. Oh, people, don't let that go over your head. God gives understanding to people who want it. If you don't want it, you'll not receive it. He gives it to those who look to God and cry out for it. One of the things I do daily, I alternate Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. May the eyes of my understanding be enlightened that I might know what is the hope of His calling and what is the glorious riches of His inheritance in the saints. You have to cry out for it if you want it. It's like this. Mom, what's for dinner? Uh, you want to eat. So you cry out to Mama. What's I still do. What's for dinner? It's the same way spiritually. What's for dinner, Father? God gives understanding to people who want understanding 
to those who look to God and cry out for it than to those who have understanding. He continues to give the gifts of God. But many of the people who came to Jesus were only looking for signs and wonders. For a miracle or the miraculous food Jesus had been known to produce. They were not coming because they were hungry for God. Therefore, God did not reveal Himself or kingdom truth to them. Oh, I'm telling you. I know I'm, I'm, I'm sharing today with you some principles are vital. This is the meaning behind the otherwise seemingly harsh but actually profound revelation given by the same prophet from Isaiah 27.11. For this is a people without understanding. So their maker has no compassion on them and their creator shows them no favor. Waiting for the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 1 and 2 were a group of believers who met these two conditions. They'd be, they had brought into oneness, were brought into oneness by the ministry of Jesus, were faithful in the understanding they'd been given, and therefore qualified for more. Upon those, these believers were poured out the Pentecost anointing. When the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, verse 1, came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Ever heard that Scripture? In our teaching about the day of Pentecost, now listen, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we have consistently shortchanged the truth about Pentecost. It has been taught repeatedly as an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that brought the baptism of the Spirit into the lives of the believers and empowered them with gifts of the Holy Spirit to be more effective witnesses for Jesus and to take the gospel to the nations. All of this is true, but it's not the whole truth. In Pentecost, there are many anointings. And of a special importance is the anointing for community. There's the word again, community. This is the anointing that brings understanding and the spirit of unity and enables Christian community to be built. There's also here an anointing for leaders to understand how to build community, which is vastly different from building the church as an institution. Don't let that go over your head. There's also here an anointing for leaders to understand how to build community, which is vastly different from building the church as an institution. We're not about religious tradition in this place. That's why we're on the edge of town. The churches all throughout this community are about building the institution about religious tradition. We're about grace. We're about mercy. We're about love. We're about community. Acts chapter 2, which records the outpouring of the Spirit and the events of the day of Pentecost, closes with this climatic, climactic statement. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer and donuts. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That's covenant. 
selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Could that be you in the days ahead? Could, could the Spirit of God quicken to you to sell a car or sell a house or sell a property or give up your stuff for someone else? They, it says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. Not once a week. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here is a description of an amazing creation of community, which was the direct result of the Pentecost anointing being given to the believers. At the heart of this description is the statement, all the believers were together and had everything in common. The direct result of the power of the Spirit resting on such a community of God's people was amazing power. Now you're getting down to what's, what's so important. There was a manifestation of miracles, signs and wonders, and power because of community. In the chapters that follow, we see example after example which is referring to Acts, of what may be achieved and what life may be like when the power for community is given. In Acts chapter 4, it says they raised their voices together in prayer to God, and the direct outcome was, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting, meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. That's what community is all about. The church today rarely sees this degree of the manifestation of God's power. I believe power manifestations of such magnitude require the church to be functioning, functioning in the community anointing. The belief that the church was functioning in a community anointing and that this is of strategic importance to the kingdom of God is proven in the statement of Scripture which followed... All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Boy, that's, that's a result of community. Great grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for, for, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. The same power is evident in the story of Peter's miraculous escape from prison in Acts chapter 12. The church offered much prayer. Peter's subsequent deliverance involved an angel, shining lights, chains falling off wrists, doors in the city gates opening by themselves, guards sleeping through all the commotion, Peter coming to himself after it was all over. Every day we hear miracles the Lord is giving His people all over the world, but we rarely hear miracles as great as this. I believe the church must be in community for miracles of this nature to flow unhindered. The community anointing of Pentecost is foundational to such power in the church, not just the fact that the individuals were baptized with the power of the Spirit. Therefore, we must adjust our faith, values, and goals. We must change the way we pray, look for the release of all the anointings of Pentecost, and expect greater results from the work of the Spirit among us. The church at Antioch was outstanding even in its own day. This is another example of the church and community 
identity and the resultant power. Many people came to Christ there, and when Barnabas arrived, having been sent by the apostles, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. Great anointings were at work in this church. Another example of what the power of the Spirit does with believing men and women in community. Like-minded, the same heart, same purpose. And later when they laid hands on the apostles they were sending out, great power went with them. Unity with anointing always translates into power. I think that's written on your outline. Unity with anointing always translates into power. Oh, we need unity. Oh, we need the anointing. And if you want the power, I just read what we need to do. Every apostolic company of saints is now to be looking to cooperate with the Spirit of grace to bring about these results in these last days. Furthermore, revival of the church and transformation of the community is to be found in this anointing. This is the power of spiritual awakening. I'm almost done. In more recent church history, we have an exceptional example of an apostolic company that found this grace. The story of Count Zinzendorf. Oh, wouldn't that be a cool name? And the Moravians. How many of you have ever heard of the Moravians? It's precisely a model for what God now wants to do with many apostolic companies throughout the earth. They were a group that had known disunity and division, even rebellion, but God heard prayer. Zinzendorf himself spent a whole night crying out to God for them, and an amazing change took place. They experienced what has been called the Moravian Pentecost. They commenced a prayer meeting which never ceases for well over a hundred years. From their small company, they sent missionaries to the darkest places, and those at home worked and lived sacrificially to support many that were sent out. They did more to evangelize the entire world in 20 years than the whole church had done in 200. Their spirituality was exceptional, and they became a light to many people, including the great John Wesley. The story of the Moravian Brethren is a model and inspiration to help pursue the grace of apostolic community with its attendant, Power and fruit bearing, you should consider the story of God's grace at work among that people. The early apostles exercised great authority, but so did the believers. The whole purpose of being in submission to, to apostles is that apostolic authority might flow to many. Every believer under apostolic leadership is meant to function in apostolic authority. Apostles commission believers to function in authority and power for Christ. An apostolic company is clothed with Christ's authority. The church of the coming days, now listen, will see manifestations of amazing power and authority but not without the apostles in place in the body who have been given authority over the church. Authority flows. This is so good. Don't let it go over your head. When I say that, that means take heed. <laughs> authority flows to those in submission to authority. Authority flows to those who are submission. So if you struggle, if you come from a background of rebellion, you're going to have problems. Unless there's a, a work of grace by the Spirit of God in your heart. Authority flows to those in submission to authority, as we've discussed. But there's some other significant factors that will help every believer function in Christ's authority. Obviously, number one, faith is required. This is established by the believer's knowledge of the Word of God. 
and especially a revelation of his or her heart of the truth of our position in Christ as taught in, as taught in Ephesians. Number two, having the fear of the Lord in the heart is another very significant factor. The exercise of authority must always be without arrogance, presumption, or independence. There can be no taking God for granted. A right and holy fear of the Lord helps to safeguard our hearts, keeping us in humility and a right relationship with God and others. As a result, we can be trusted with greater authority. In the coming days, authority will be given, and with it, freedom also, but we must remember that in the end, Christ will judge. Number three. A willingness to accept responsibility helps to establish authority. A willingness to accept responsibility helps to establish authority. See, if you can't, if you're not willing and obedient to accept your responsibility in a community, you will have no authority. There will be no signs, wonders, and miracles. I hope that didn't go over your head. Jesus gave authority to the twelve and to the seventy-two, but this was because they were going out to preach, heal, and sick, and cast out demons. Jesus said we're to put our hand to the plow and what? Not look back. Where the believer takes up responsibility in the kingdom of God, authority will become established. Let me say that again. That's a good statement. Where the believer takes up responsibility in the kingdom of God, authority will become established. That's why whatever you do here in this church, you need to do it with the right heart's attitude, accept the responsibility that you're given. Then you will operate in authority. Furthermore, prayer is required for growth and grace. Christ's authority is a grace imparted to... Christ's authority is a grace imparted to the believer, and as with every anointing, we obtain this through hunger for more of God. Constantly seeking after Christ, ordering your heart aright through prayer, and seeking to know His truth and walking in it are important spiritual disciplines for growth in grace. In the coming days of the restored apostolic church, we will see many ordinary believers make great impact upon their communities through the grace and authority of Jesus Christ that will rest on them. Did you hear what I read to you today? Accept the responsibility been given. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Put your hand in the plow, don't look back. Be submitted with the right heart's attitude to those in authority. Those who have made sacrifices through the years. That are true shepherds that love the sheep. That aren't out to build an individual kingdom, but to promote His kingdom. All these things are so important. Would you put that prayer up, please? Look up Nehemiah and study that in eight chapter verse chapter eight and verse seven and eight. The people had no understanding, and so the leadership had to sit them down and teach them till they gained understanding. Then there was a revival. 
Did I say anything today that made sense? Then notify your face and smile at me. You will not die but live and declare the works of God. Let's stand up this morning. Proverbs 3.13, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. The Bible talks about crying out. I think it's Proverbs 2. It says, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So what we're going to do today is cry out for understanding. I don't know your heart. He does. You don't even know your heart. I, sometimes I don't even know my heart. He does. But if we'll all come together and cry out for understanding... To know where we fit in the local church. What we're supposed to do. How we're supposed to behave. Amen? Then we're going to see an increase of the corporate anointing. It all boils down to understanding, number one. And if number two, do you want more? Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, we believe that you're raising up Harvest Church in this hour to be an apostolic company. We humbly ask you for the community anointing of Pentecost to be poured on us individually and corporately so we can experience understanding the spirit of unity and the manifestation of your power. We lift up our voices for understanding so we can effectively flow with Your Holy Spirit in order to fulfill the Father's kingdom purposes. Help us, Lord, stay humble, teachable, and submitted to You, our leadership, and each other. Let Your selfless and sacrificial love flow to me, each other, and to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, we're going to cry out. You're going to cry out. So I'm going to lead you. We prayed this corporately. Amen. This was an institutional prayer. (laughs) Corporately pray. But I want it to come from your heart. Amen. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I cry out to you today for more understanding. Lord, open the eyes of my understanding this day. Father, I thank you, Lord. I want to see. I want to comprehend. I want to know you more intimately. Know your ways more intimately. Intimately, So, Father, we cry out, Lord, today, individually and corporately as a church body, Lord, pour out understanding upon us, our families, and this church corporately in Jesus' name. Say this with me. I desire more understanding. I'll seek it. I'll cry out for it every day. I desire community in this church. I desire to be a member of that remnant community. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. 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 Is there anyone here today that you're sick in your body and you need prayer? We all healthy? Yes, ma'am. Okay. What's going on? You don't know why? or? Okay. Well, he already prayed for you, didn't he? So, Father, I'm in agreement. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command these ears, be made whole, hearing in Jesus' name. That anointing destroys the yoke of infirmity. It's bound. Now, Lord God, You said if we'd lay hands on the sick, they'd recover. So, Lord, I thank You that You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're a miracle-working God. So thank You, Lord, for that healing anointing flowing into those ears today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank You, Lord. Praise God. Well, anything else? You gave enough announcements. Amen. I welcome your families. Four o'clock, right?